We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Beat the Los Angeles Lakers, and we get to talk about wins in two podcasts in a row. I'm kind of shocked. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. My name is Mike V. Hill. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, Mike. Um, I'm fighting off a cold at the minute, so I apologize in advance for, for how I sound. But other than that, it was a great win for the Suns. This Lakers game is honestly one of the highlights of the season so far. Uh, it's one of the highlights of DeAndre Ayton's career so far and and just a really important game in his development so far as a rookie big man. What a fascinating game from so many different aspects. First of all, it was the biggest story of the NBA in a night that had <laughs> it was a really interesting night in the NBA. And obviously the Lakers are coming into this game, I believe four four and a half games out of the playoffs, and they really need to pick up wins, especially against teams that you would consider an easy win, like the Suns. For LeBron, LeBron was twenty and one against the Suns coming into this game, uh, so the idea of losing to the Suns was kind of off the table for a lot of Lakers fans. And of course, the Suns come in and win the game in a really interesting way. A lot of things stood out in this game for me. Um, Sam, what what stood out for you at first watch? Uh, well, the obvious it, it was DeAndre Ayton. Uh, all around and you know Mm -hmm. to be fair that's what everyone was talking about but it was DeAndre Ayton from a number of angles one it was a really really interesting decision by the coaching staff to put DeAndre Ayton on LeBron James as the primary um, defensive assignment for him and it was a move that seems to have paid off for us and and I'd like to see us continue to explore that option in the future it was DeAndre Ayton from an offensive standpoint they were feeding him early really trying to run the offense through him uh, sort of Going into this game, I wasn't sure how convinced I was in the principle that DeAndre Aiden could exist as a small ball killer. And this particular game, seeing the way that he dominated a guy like Kyle Kuzma and and got the Suns off to an early lead and forced Kuzma out of the game as early as possible and and to the point where they had to start JaVale McGee in the second half, it made me much more of a firm believer in that potential. Uh, And then just some other things like Aiden really being aggressive, getting to the free throw line had a career-high 14 free-throw attempts uh, in this game. So just DeAndre Aiden all around was was fantastic, and we could talk about what he did in this game for a long time, I think. I agree. I think for Suns fans, it was exactly what we needed. It was nice to get a win, first of all, but it was also nice to see a reminder of why he was drafted number one overall. Because that kind of potential, the kind of potential that he showed offensively on the boards, getting to the free throw line, guarding the perimeter, 
this is exactly why he was drafted number one overall. It's that level of athleticism, that level of size. It's a package in a player that's really not common. It's very, very uncommon. And to see him put it all together for one game against possibly the most hated team by Phoenix Suns fans, it really was kind of perfect uh, for us to watch. Really, really fun to watch. Now, I do think I was wondering, and, and I wonder what your opinion on this, the decision to put Aiton on LeBron James, I'm, I'm wondering what led to that, or, or I, I guess it could be a combination of things, but I'm wondering if it was more that putting him on someone like LeBron James, the idea of giving him more responsibility on defense and helping him be more engaged on defense because he understands that his responsibility is so high. He's guarding one of the greatest players of all time and the best best player on the other team. Was that more of the decision? I, you know, I would love to talk to Igor Kokoshkov about this. Of course, we can't. But I'm wondering if that was more because of that decision or if it was more to pull him away from that traditional rim protector role because he was kind of guarding on the perimeter a lot. LeBron took a lot of jump shots. Of course, LeBron still had a great game. Yeah, and I didn't did. expect Aiton to shut him down at all. No. Uh, but, but it was really interesting. What do you think that led to that decision i mean look i think there may have been some sort of motivational piece to it but for the most part i think it was legitimately our best option i think uh you know a guy like mikhail bridges doesn't have the strength to guard lebron really and and this is going to be really interesting as well because the bucks are about to come into town and i think there are a lot of parallels between Giannis and lebron and and seeing Aiton guard lebron the way he did makes me wonder if we're going to roll with the same thing tomorrow night but Against a guy like LeBron James, Mikhail Bridges doesn't have the strength. Josh Jackson, Kelly Oubre don't necessarily have the skills or the length. And DeAndre Ayton is just a big body, not easy to shoot over. He was giving LeBron a lot of space and and sort of just uh, inviting him to shoot. And obviously LeBron's still going to make a lot of those shots, but it seemed to pay off for us uh, in the long run. And and let's face it, Ayton, his strength at this point in his career, it's not his rim protection. He's not a very good rim protector, but what makes him special, and as you were talking about, the reason he was drafted as a number one overall pick is because of his ability to guard in space and the fact that he's not a flat-footed big man is something that Eddie Johnson was saying in the broadcast yesterday. To bring it back to the small ball killer argument, I think small ball sort of hit its peak in popularity a couple of years ago because there were these there were these death lineups coming from teams like the Warriors that were so willing to take traditional centers, these flat-footed big men, the Ennis Cantors or Al Jeffersons of the league, out of the court. But if you have a guy like DeAndre Ayton, who, uh, who's so good at shuffling his feet on the perimeter and, and guarding in space, you have a much stronger chance of being able to kill that off. One of the interesting parts about, to your point about it being the best decision strategy-wise was even when JaVale McGee started in the second half, JaVale McGee was then guarding DeAndre Ayton, but DeAndre Ayton was still guarding LeBron. That means we had other guys guarding JaVale McGee, and JaVale McGee kind of feasted at that point. But the idea around it is you, you, you take that away from LeBron. I mean, LeBron still had a good good game, but LeBron could easily have 40, 45 points against the Suns. It's definitely possible, and he was obviously held to less than that. Um, you know, 16 assists is pretty crazy, but I think the decision of leaving DeAndre Ayton on LeBron and forcing that ball down low to JaVale and, and JaVale, who had a pretty good game offensively, uh, get got the ball a lot more in the second half as a result. I thought it was really interesting to keep going with that. And I wonder, just like you said, I wonder if they do end up doing something similar with the Bucks. how willing the Bucks would be to go back to allowing Brooke Lopez to post up because Brooke Lopez mm. is still starting on that team and Brooke Lopez is, is shooting a lot of threes. And if Brooke Lopez ends up on with, I guess it would be Dragon Bender, assuming we keep the same starting lineup, and we should talk about what, how we feel about that starting lineup as well. It's kind of interesting. But assuming it ends up being uh, Dragon Bender on Brooke Lopez, who still has length and he's still a relatively good defender. He, he gets his hands up. He doesn't foul a lot. He can jump. He's got long arms. He's not very strong, though, and, and strength is kind of what you need in the post. And Brook Lopez has been a good post-up player in the past, but if you watch the way the Bucks played, they just don't do a lot of that, even with Giannis, and Giannis, a guy as fast as him, doesn't really need to post up. He can face up on you all day long. I'd be really interested in seeing what they're willing to do against that kind of defensive scheme and, and see if they actually end up doing that. Doesn't I, I kind of doubt it. What do you think? No, Mike, Mike I'm going to be honest with you. The Bucks are coming into town tomorrow night as one of the best teams in the NBA facing still the team with the worst record in the NBA. They're not going to change up yeah. their game plan because of what a the team Suns they did. lost to. 
Uh, yeah, a team they, they, they were gonna, they're going to want revenge. But sure, but let's face it, a team they lost to because Brook Lopez missed all those threes that one night. Uh, we got lucky. Right. We got we squeezed a good game out of Jamal Crawford. Open threes. We squeezed a good game out of Jamal Crawford that night, and we had Brook Lopez miss a lot of open threes. Now look, I think Aiton on Giannis is fascinating because where did LeBron get his points in that game? He hit four threes. He was coming down. He was hitting pull up threes in transition. Yeah. That's how he was getting his points. He wasn't getting them at the rim. And Giannis is not a guy who can do that to Aiton. So Aiton guarding him, giving him plenty of space, forcing Giannis into the same sort of facilitator role that you did with LeBron, it, it just makes sense. And I really hope they go with it tomorrow. Brooke Lopez is not going to change his strategy. They've got 40% three-point shooters at Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, you know, Bledsoe and Miritich, and, and Middleton are all plus shooters as well. They're, they're going to continue right along with their offensive game plan and try to space the floor around Giannis. And the Suns still go in tomorrow as heavy, 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 underdogs uh but i do just think this is probably the best strategy and i'm glad to see that they gave it a test run yeah you know another thing about eight and, and, and playing against that small lineup that kuzma started at center for those of you who didn't watch the game kuzma not really kuzma probably his most natural position coming into the league was the small forward position now of course the way that the league is now more of a power forward center is not really his position to be honest in that lineup lebron probably should be center he's he's a stronger player he's the more athletic player just not as young and i don't think lebron wants to put that kind of miles on his body at this point especially for a team that's not really going to make the playoffs but one thing that it did for DeAndre Ayton, I think that's the most interesting thing, and I think both of us tweeted about this, Sam, was he got to the line. DeAndre Ayton got to the line a lot. And it, that's just a result of being aggressive and being aggressive in a more traditional sense, and that means just looking at the rim, continuing to attack regardless of who's on him. And what I'm wondering if that kind of opened his eyes to how many points he can get. He was 10 for 14. He had 14 free throw attempts the most, 10 free points at the line, and he can get fouled like that against big men as well he really kind of has to play through them though really really through them aggressively and I'm wondering if that's something that he can continue to do uh, with a guy like Brooke Lopez guarding him in the next game and just really throughout his career I think the future of his game will be shooting a lot of free throws he hasn't done it a lot this season so I'm wondering how it will look the rest of the season especially after this game he's such a finesse player but on the other hand the truth is most big men come into the league uh, and and do improve in their second or third season. They start to get to the free throw line more often. What DeAndre has to do, he has to draw fouls on on those post ups, yes. But also on all of those elbow touches he he gets, he has to look to make a move. He can't just settle for these eighteen foot face up jumpers. And that's what he was uh, not doing in that Lakers game. He has to look to sort of drive to the rim, and and kind of that's how you get fouled on those drives. What I tweeted out is that there are uh, twenty two players in the league who average at least seven paint touches per game. And DeAndre Ayton is very high up in, the, in that list. He gets quite a few paint touches per game. Of those 22, Ayton ranks 20th in the percentage of, of possessions on which he gets fouled. He gets fouled on only 5% of those possessions. So it, it's really limiting him. If you compare him to some big men of the past, Ayton's averaging three free throw attempts per game this year. A guy like Boogie Cousins was averaging five his rookie season. A guy like Joel Embiid, his rookie season with the Sixers, was already getting to the free throw line eight times per game. And that's why we just need to see a little bit more of this change in mindset for DeAndre Ayton. And the success will come. He could easily be a 20 and 10 guy if he was getting to the free throw line as much as a guy like Embiid was his rookie season, because we know he's a good free throw shooter. He's about a 75% free throw shooter, but it just sort of proves that it's not all about touches. It's just not all about how naturally involved you are in the flow of the offense. you got to catch the ball, and then you actually have to put it on the floor and do something with it. How much of this do you think we can attribute? Maybe this question is a funny one, but how much of this do you think we can attribute to playing with Dragon Bender starting? So we've seen it <laughs> a few is, games in a row now. a funny question. <laughs> <laughs> we can't give him credit, but I do want to talk about it because it's kind of interesting in that we've talked a lot about power forwards and the, the severe lack of power forwards on this roster and how much it affects us to not have any size and not have any length in that starting lineup. So rotations, the the decisions that Igor Kokoshkov has made in the last few games have been really fascinating to me. I thought he's done a really good job. There's two wins this week. First time we've talked about a two-win week in a long time since the four-game like streak. It's the only time. Yeah. The two wins, so the starting lineup, Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, Dragon Bender, DeAndre Ayton is that starting lineup. And then later in the game, 
we have a really interesting substitutions. I really I, the only thing that I like about this because really I want Mikael Bridges to start for the rest of his career with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton because that's I think the future of this team ultimately. But what I like about this because of our problems with the bench because of how difficult it was for us to play consistently once the bench came in. If you have Melton, Bridges, and Holmes coming in at the same time, even with Josh Jackson, that's a really interesting look to throw out a bench because this is just guys that can really get on you defensively in Melton, Bridges, and Holmes. And Jackson has his uh, times of the games where he can really get on you too. So doubles up. It's interesting because uh, Bender, although he starts, he doesn't close the game. And even the same, you know, Mikael Bridges ends up in that uh, closing lineup so we still get some of the best players in there at the end of the game but we have a little more length to start the game a little more rebounding to start the game and then a lot of defense coming off the bench and I like both of those decisions and it's not something that I would have anticipated putting Dragon Bender in the starting lineup but so far it's looks kind of interesting to see uh, especially helping out the bench a little bit what do you think yeah to your point it's his three-point shot is starting to fall a little bit I was getting so frustrated with Dragon because I think he was shooting something yeah. like 16 percent from the three-point line a few games ago but he hit one against the Lakers last night he hit two uh, against the Pelicans the night before and the rebounding is is really crucial he is starting to rebound a little bit better over his last 10 games he's averaging close to um 10 rebounds per 36. Of course, he only plays like 14, 15 minutes per game. Um, I don't know how, how much of the success can really be attributed to it, though. Gives you a little more length, a little more rebounding. But, right. you know, uh, when TJ Warren comes back, if he ever does come back, and I hope he does uh, at this point right. because we still don't know what's going on, I, I would like to think that Dragon's still going. Uh, Dragon hasn't made enough of a positive impact to not be bounced out of the lineup. And then we're going to have this weird shuffle again where one of these poor rebounding small forwards is going to have to start a power forward. But that's just kind of the way you have to do it. Kelly Oubre is playing too well. Mikhail Bridges is playing too well. TJ Warren has been playing too well for all those guys to just be bounced out. Uh, and so I think Dragon's going to be the odd man out there. Uh, but I am sort of proud of his performance. Yeah, in the past couple of weeks. I do think yeah. he's been a little bit better. Yeah, I think he's shown enough that, that he could probably stay in the league next <clears> year. Maybe, yeah. Whether it be on the Suns is pro pro probably not, but I think that you can kind of look at it and say, okay, maybe he can put it together. He's still very young. He's the, He was the youngest player in the league you know, when he was drafted, so he still has time to grow, and, and I hope he shows enough closing the season out that we get to see what he can really be in the NBA in the future. And if not, I'm sure he can have a great career overseas. So it really it doesn't work out so badly for him. But do you think he has shown enough that, assuming TJ Warren is not back anytime soon, he stays in the starting lineup? Because yeah. initially, when I saw it, him in the starting lineup, you groaned. I thought it was just because we were playing against Bill no. guy, big guy, bigger guys and we needed more size, and, and it was just an adjustment for those specific games. And then he continued to stay in the starting lineup going forward, including against the Lakers, where the Lakers is a game where you could have potentially put Mikhail Bridges back in that starting lineup and see what you can do. Uh, and, and, and it didn't happen. So I'm wondering if he's shown enough. In my opinion, I would say so. Let's keep going. It looks good. The bench looks a lot better. looks a little more consistent. You know, less Jamal Crawford, more DeAnthony well, Melton, more Mikael Bridges, more too. Rashawn Holmes. Well, uh, in just a, yeah, in just a minute, but I'll say, I'll say about Dragon first. Uh, yeah, no, I think they're going to continue. When I started to see him back in the starting lineup, I audibly groaned. That was my reaction to it. And now, you know, I'm sort of warming up to it. Um, I think, first of all, if you're going to put Aiton on Giannis tomorrow, then you kind of have to keep Bender in the starting lineup because Josh Jackson and Kelly Oubre can't guard Brook Lopez, even if he's standing 35 right. feet out. They just they just can't. Uh, so I think right. Dragon makes the most sense for that defensive positioning. Beyond that, I'm not really sure. And, you know, against a team like the Knicks, if you wanted to go back st and play a little bit smaller, that's our next game after the Bucks. then I think you could do that. So I guess we'll see what Igor is doing. If they somehow miraculously pull a win out of their ass against the Bucks, then he'll probably just just stay with his current lineup. Yeah, and then TJ Warren can come off the bench just like every Suns fan wants. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and Kelly's been Uber's been playing pretty well. I mean, if you look at it, yeah. Since I have, let's see, I, I filtered it out here because I was interested. Since the start of February. Look, his shots not fall. Ubre is so because everything Washington fans said about him about inconsistency is absolutely correct, and he was shooting at about a forty percent clip his first ten or fifteen games or so uh, with the Suns, and now he's down to twenty nine percent three point shooting since the start of February. But if you ignore that shooting slump, he's averaging at about thirty one minutes per game, eighteen points, 
5.3 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 steals in 31 minutes per game, 73% for the free throw line, 46% for the field. Outside of the three-point shot, actually what it sounds like to me, it's basically last year TJ Warren numbers. It's basically TJ Warren yeah. numbers before TJ added the three-point shot, except with better, better, slightly better defense, more deflections, more playing the passing lane, and also knowing that Oubre is probably not a 40% three-point shooter, but on the other hand, I don't think he's a 30% three-point shooter either. I think that'll jump back to somewhere in the middle between between those two. So again, it makes you question, does TJ deserve to be on the bench? Is Oubre the best option going forward? Who knows? I think the most likely scenario if TJ comes back is they both start and we go back to not rebounding <laughs> at all. But I still think that's an interesting look. You know, we haven't really seen TJ Warren and Tyler Johnson play together. Not that it's a big difference. By the way, Tyler Johnson, talk about trick or treat. You- he went back to being bad. Yeah. Though. Either he's very good, or he's like one for eight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Two. We were we were c- commending him on the last episode. He put two great games together. His first two. Let's face it. His first two good games on the Suns, and then right back to two really really bad games. Um, but that sort of leads into the the point guard situation. Yeah. So the other difference that Igor, yes, that guy that all of you want fired, has has made in recent games. Really subtle change, but really important. The 25 to 30 minutes per game that used to go to Jamal Crawford and Elliot Kobo over the past four games are going to Troy Daniels and DeAnthony Melton. And of course, part of that is just because Melton is healthy again, and we knew he was going to be back in the rotation when he was healthy again. But part of it is also inserting Daniels, which Mike and I talked about last week, and it's making a difference. Like, the Suns are 2-2 two and two in their last four games, but they lost to the two teams, uh, the Hawks and Pelicans, by more than they won by to the uh, Lakers and who else did we beat? The Heat. So overall, the Suns are a minus 10 in their last four games. Melton is a plus 14. Daniels is a plus 17 in that stretch. And both of them only are playing about 10 to 12 minutes a game uh, over, over that stretch. So they're like making an impact in a small amount of time. Daniels looks great. He's hitting his shots. I don't think there's any, there is no one on our team who defenses respect the shot of more than Troy Daniels as a guy who can operate off of moving screens and, and really shoot in motion. And then Melton just continues to uh, push the pace. That's something that I've always really liked about him compared to some of our other point card play this year. And uh, obviously play the passing lanes, go for deflections and steals. Uh, and he's doing a good job of taking the taking care of the ball recently. He really hasn't been... Uh, racking up too many turnovers and, and has been getting a healthy amount of assists as well. So those two, even if they're only playing 10 or 15 minutes per game, if those 10 or 15 minutes are going to those two and not Jamal Crawford and, and Akobo, that's a win in my book. Yeah, I think it makes a huge, huge difference, especially if you surround, which has been happening, if you surround Troy Daniels with the guys that we were talking about, which was Melton Bridges, Holmes, and Jackson. Uh, it's a, It's an interesting look because uh, Troy Daniels, as we talked about, not the best defender naturally. He does kind of be, he tends to be in the right place at the right time. He, he does lift his hands. He's just not very strong and he's not very fast. So he can't really do what's necessary to be a great defender the way Melton and Bridges can. But you surround him with those guys, then you have an automatic threat that helps create driving lanes. And, and those driving lanes actually, interestingly, have been a lot for Bridges lately. You've seen a lot of Bridges catching and attacking the closeouts. And what he's been doing is he's been creating a lot of shots. I've been tweeting a lot about it. He's actually getting quite a few assists. He had two last night, but before that, uh, he was averaging in the last 10 games uh, four assists and 1.7 turnovers, whereas previously he was averaging about one assist and and about maybe 1.5 assists. I think it was 1.7 and 0.9 turnovers. So uh, obviously drastically increasing his assists and in lower minutes. He's getting lower minutes in the last few games just because he's coming off of the bench. So interestingly, it's creating these driving lanes and someone like Mikhail Bridges is able to take advantage of it. That's not something that we expect out of him. So for him to be able to do that already is a good sign for the future, especially if he's making good decisions. That turnover, assist to turnover ratio is better than most of the guys on our team. It's much better than Josh Jackson. Yeah, Mikhail, yeah, so much better than Josh Jackson. Bridges' assist-to-turnover ratio is the best on the team, last I checked. Yeah. And since the start of February, 3.7 assists per game, which may not sound like a lot, but for a low-usage small forward, that's kind of a lot. Uh, to 1.5 turnovers, that's a good ratio, healthy amount of assists. And, and really, to your point, bodes well for the future because one of the main things 
uh, or one of the main things that scouts will critique, especially about players like Mikhail Bridges, in trying to determine ceiling and figure out if guys who are 3 and D players at the college level are doomed to only be 3 and D players at the NBA level and, and never really all put it together, is how do you attack the closeout? What does your first step move look like? Uh, how creative can you be with the ball when guys are coming at you? Because even if Bridges develops a 40% three-point jumper in the NBA, if he can't attack a closeout and defenses start to respect him, then his ceiling is really limited in what he can do with the ball. To see him start to attack these closeouts, start to get slightly more unassisted field goal makes, even even if it's only a slight amount, uh, and really be creative with his passes, make some nice cross-court passes to find guys on the wings, yeah. uh, on the corners, it bodes really well for his future. I know he's 22 years old, but I really think there's a lot of untapped potential left in Mikhail Bridges, and, and I'm very excited to see uh, what he does in the next few years. You know, I'm not promising anything crazy. You know, like I don't, I don't think he's an ex Kawhi Leonard or anything like that. I think he would have need needed to be most likely like a 19 year old coming in playing like this for, uh, uh, for us to have those lofty expectations. But I do think he can be more than just your typical three and D guy. Yeah, I I completely agree. Maybe I don't know. I want to say like a Nicholas Batum, but maybe that's giving him too much offensive credit because Nicholas Batum has, it's a pretty amazing shooter. Uh, but there was a pass yesterday that really stuck out in my mind. It didn't lead to an assist, but I really, really liked it. He caught the ball. He was on the right wing above the three point line. He dribbled a few times. He faked left and then he went across his body. And this was on the right wing directly to the left corner where Josh Jackson caught the ball. And it was this cross court pass that it's just not a normal pass that guys can make. And to see Mikhail Bridges, we just don't, this is not what was advertised for him. We didn't really expect these things. I, I also talked about it on Twitter. We, I tweeted, he had eight assists in a game this week, his career high, obviously. And I looked at every assist and I, and I put a video for those of you who haven't seen it, go ahead and tweet at me and I'll show it to you. Um, all eight assists from that game. And I believe it was a Miami game. And in that game, he had so many different types of assists. He had uh, pick-and-roll assists. He had uh, a lot of slash-and-kick type assists. He had alley-oops. He had kick-outs to corner threes. He had a bump screen, uh, what I call a bump screen, which is a Steve Nash screen where you pass to a guy at the three-point line and then just set a moving screen on the defender that's closing out, which they never really call. Uh, you know, Trey Young does it a lot, too. Russell Westbrook's really good at it. Um, so, you know, it's just really interesting to see that development and and where he's going to be. And I, I'm, you know, in this season where it's been kind of hard to watch the Suns at times, and a lot of times. I know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for guys like us who have to watch every game, we've watched every game. For a guy like Mikhail Bridges to develop the way that he's developed and to play as consistently as he's played throughout the season, on defense specifically, has been really kind of game saving it makes it so much easier to watch the team because if it's all going bad just just focus on bridges like at least you have that and even d'anthony melton is another guy who's fun to watch kind of at any moment that he's on the court on defense because it's just so crazy how much they attack guys um we've been talking about this from the sun's perspective but there's kind of a national story around this that i just want to talk about briefly um, with the Lakers. So it really seems like the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs at this point, which is a nice thing for the Suns to be the team that everyone's like, well, they can't do it now. Um, there's really no chance, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, there's a chance, but no. It's very unlikely. But I do yeah. want to say this. I just want to say this. The fact that LeBron James can come to the West and join a team that is full of a lot of young guys, a lot of guys that were drafted recently, kind of a hodgepodge of guys, and can't carry that team to the playoffs in the West. And of course, there were some injuries. He took some time off. That doesn't matter to me. It's kind of a vindication for Devin Booker because a lot of people look at Devin Booker and they say, he can't even carry his team to the playoffs. They can't even win with him. But I think it's a very similar situation to what LeBron is in now. Because LeBron is on a team right now with a whole bunch of young guys and he's trying to carry them to the playoffs. And even LeBron, who is likely the second greatest player of all time, cannot do it. And I think it's a reminder. It's a reminder that a guy like Devin Booker, surrounded by a bunch of kids who don't have any experience in the NBA and and a bunch of non-shooters, the way that LeBron is surrounded by a bunch of non-shooters, they can't do it. And I think it's just a reminder, I think, of it's just really hard to make the playoffs in the West. You're not you're not going to get an argument out of me, but it's just the NBA is all about momentum and, and people like seeing positive momentum. 
if the Suns were 30 and 33 right now and weren't going to make the playoffs, but but we had that to cling on to, we had that positive momentum, uh, then I think Devin Booker would have a very, or at least a much more positive view in the mainstream media. What people don't like to see is they don't like to see the Suns win 25 games the year that Devin Booker dropped 70 or, or however many games we won. I don't even remember mm-hmm. anymore. But but then go down the next year after that to 21 and then go down again this year, most likely, to whatever we're going to end up with, whether it's 15, 16, 17. They just don't like to see that negative momentum because then it's, okay, Suns fans keep saying Devin Booker gets better every year, and he has, uh, but then why does the team continue to get worse? It's really simple, but that's basically all it is. You know, p- National writers aren't paying attention to Suns games for the most part because they don't have time to do that. So, you know, the simple storyline is Devin Booker might continue to get better, but the Suns get worse. And obviously, you know, something doesn't click there. What are you looking forward to seeing in this Bucks game the most? <clears throat> uh, well, I mean, we already said it. I I, I want to see the defensive matchup on uh, Giannis. Um, but beyond that, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a little nervous because at the end of the day, the Suns managed to get this win against the Lakers. They still shot six of 26 from the three-point line. And the Bucks, that's 23%, which is not good. And the Bucks are a team that has the potential to come in here and just fire off, make 15 threes at a, at a 40, 45% rate and really just slaughter us. <laughs> so uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous more than anything. Excited, but scared. It's funny to think about the matchup against the Bucks. It's kind of the worst case scenario for the Suns. If the Suns hadn't beaten the Bucks already, this would be, you know, uh, maybe a little less interesting to me. But the fact that they have, it just makes it a little more interesting, especially how well they played last night. And I think it's important to say too, a lot of the media is just putting this on the Lakers. They're putting it on um they're putting it on Luke Walton, they're putting it on LeBron. They're saying, "What are these guys doing? How dare they magic it's Magic's fault, it's Polinka's fault." And they're even just focusing on this game. I want to say that LeBron did try really hard, especially in that second half. He was playing defense. He was he they, he tried to win. He wasn't throwing the game away. There were some weird plays, of course, but there's some weird plays in every game. It's just with LeBron James, every single one of them is dissected. But I think it's important to say the reason the Suns won this game is because they came to win. They played to win. They played really well. And to see them kind of fire on all cylinders was a kind of a nice thing to see. They even, for, for you know, we've talked about it. They don't do this often. They shot a lot more free throws than, yeah. than the Lakers did. The Lakers only shot 23 free throws. The Suns shot 40. So, you know, it was, it was a huge disparity in free throws. And, and it was nice to see them put it together for a little bit. Okay, two things that you just reminded me of by saying that. First of all, since you mentioned the free throw disparity before anyone says, I don't think any Lakers fans would listen to us anyway, but as long as you said that Josh Hart foul was ruled in the you know last two-minute referee report that the NBA puts out as a correct call. So it was, you know, everyone was complaining about Josh Hart being called for that foul, <laughs> saying it should have been an offensive foul on DeAndre Ayton. They ruled that that was correct. Uh, so that's the first thing. Second thing, they weren't firing on all cylinders because they didn't hit their open shots. Again, 23% for the three-point line, and that's sort of where roster construction comes mm-hmm. into this. It's very refreshing to see that in a game where you... Sh- in 2019, in a game where you shoot 23% from three-point range, you can feed your big man inside early, get him active, and it still opens up those other avenues on offense for you, and you can still win the game even if you're not hitting shots. But if you are hitting shots, and if you build a team around DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker next year where you have more three-point shooters, uh, naturally the success is going to come. I mean, think about other teams that have existed in the modern era that have been built around a, a dominant offensive big man. The first one that comes to mind for me is the 9 Magic that made it to the finals. Having a, a dominant offensive big man, very aggressive like Dwight Howard, but not allowing that to, to force you to capitalize uh, or force you to go away from the three-point game and still build like a sort of inside-outside attack around that. The Suns last night proved that they could do exactly that with DeAndre Aiden to be. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of guys who like to attack. You know, We've talked about Devin Booker being unable to hit his three-point shot, but with Kelly Oubre in the starting lineup constantly attacking as well, he's a guy that can get to the free-throw line. We saw uh, what DeAndre Ayton can do. You know, almost half of those were his free throw attempts. So a great game. And when we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what a weird week this was for Suns fans, and you'll see why.
One of the best parts about beating the Lakers is seeing the salty Lakers fans on the <laughs> internet afterwards. <laughs> so what I did, I put on a hazard suit, I put on my radioactive suit, and I stepped into Lakers Twitter and the disgusting. Lakers subreddit. Yes, disgusting. <laughs> and I decided to wade in that water, wade in that garbage, and see what they were saying about this game. So quickly, before we get on to the weird week for Suns fans, let's just read a few tweets and a few comments from lakers fans is that good sounds good to me all right here we go first one saucer vujicic is more clutch than lebron (laughs) (laughs) and this is someone with a lebron jersey in their twitter (laughs) avatar where where did you find these randos or well-known maker fans uh so i was (laughs) searching the Twitter, I was searching, using this Twitter search tool, I was searching terms like Mamba Mentality, I was searching uh, yes, I was searching Fire <laughs> Luke, I was searching uh, LeBron Sucks, I was searching, and they was, these were, you know, there were, there were people that were clearly fans of other teams weighing in on the discussion, this was a huge national story, but a lot of them were Lakers fans, and you can tell uh, by their photos a lot of times. So this guy said, so my Lakers are no better with LeBron than they were before LeBron. They just have less money and more drama. Well, Kobe Bryant is still well, the king of L.A. Well, okay. <laughs> on the one hand, he's stupid. But on the other hand, <laughs> like it's not inconceivable, right, that the Lakers, they're 30 and 33. They were 35 and 47 last year. Like they could, they could have the same record after adding LeBron James. How absurd is that? Now, that's not entirely fair because LeBron missed like what seventeen games, but still, mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy. <laughs> he hashtagged it Mamba mentality and bring back the Mamba. <laughs> so he literally uh, thinks Kobe yeah. Bryant is better than LeBron James now. right now, currently. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one. He said Lakers sh- should just fire Luke Walton and just call Kobe on speaker during timeouts. <laughs> And again, like, why do you think, like, what is what is this with thinking that good players make good coaches? We all know that that's not true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this one's a Reddit comment, a little longer. He said, low effort plays don't happen very often when players are playing for a coach who they respect and they want to win for. And then this is how we know he was an expert. So he, he, he told us, he said, when I played club soccer when I was in high school, my team wasn't the most talented bunch. <laughs> But every game we played, we played extremely hard because we had a coach who cared about us and wanted to see us be successful. So we went out there and played for him because we wanted to win for him more than anything. (laughs) A true hero. A salute to this man's club soccer coach. He's an expert. He's an expert. (sighs) If you have ever played those sports, though, like, you know, club, whatever, in girls... It's hard to it's hard to be in coaching situations, you know, to like really motivate your team. Like guys just don't show up to do that. So in, in some ways I would say being like a club soccer coach might be harder than being an NBA coach, yeah. if you think about it. Well You don't have the millions of dollars to, to motivate. <laughs> I don't think I said this on the podcast, but I played basketball growing up and my dad was a coach, so <laughs> I lived with a coach. Yeah. All right, here's one. I'm going to read it first. LeBron has spent the season putting himself above his teammates, words and actions, separating himself. Countless side projects, never truly buying into his head coach. Part of leadership is getting over yourself and getting into others. Congrats on all the cool TV and movie projects, though. And that one came from Colin Cowherd. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay, fuck you. (laughs) Don't read me, Colin Cowherd. Yeah, the Lakers are really losing because LeBron is making Space Jam 2. Here's another good one. This guy said, Trey Young's mustache is better than the Lakers' young core. (laughs) That's funny. This guy said, uh, Rondo and Tyson Chandler are way better leaders than LeBum James. And see, like, but I don't believe that anyone wrote that seriously. Like, how can you you write that and not just think of yourself as a a deficient ape? It's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. Rondo was ass last night, by the way. Yeah, he's bad. <laughs> he's Tyson, we knew his, Tyson, we knew his ass. I mean, Rondo, we, yeah. we, we've been knew that he was ass as well, but he really sucked last night. All right, one more. This guy says, 
It happened again. LeBron James just missed two huge late free throws that could have made it a one possession game. He has always been a liability at late game free throw at the free throw line. And some people actually claim he's better than Michael Jordan. Laughable. Blasphemous. And this one came from at real Skip Bayless. Yeah. Sounds like a Skip Bayless. Not an actual Lakers fan. I mean, look, Skip Bayless has made a career on Some people just don't appreciate greatness, and they never will. They're so <laughs> swept up in hate. Appreciate LeBron James' career while it lasts, folks. I'm I'm being serious, too. I don't even care if he's on the Lakers. Who, who knows how much longer he'll be on the Lakers, first of all. But, you know, I, I have no hate for, for LeBron James as a player. He's been such a special player to watch for, for me growing up. Uh, you know, I, of course, I hate the Lakers, and I think it'll be funny if they fail. But to say he's not a leader, to say he's not invested in that team, it's just ridiculous. Picture him on the Clippers, though. <laughs> how much better they would have yeah. been. It is kind of crazy to think how much better they would have been. He could have still been in L.A. There's just none of the glory that comes from wearing the ugliest jerseys in the NBA but in the were, Lakers jerseys. There would be so. a different type of glory in bringing LA's little yeah. franchise to the spotlight, like for the first time, like Chris Paul and Blake Griffin sort of did it. And Deandre Jordan, they sort of did it, but they didn't really revive them. Like they didn't, they didn't get them to the finals or anything in a way that maybe LeBron could have, if, especially if he could have attracted another star, that would have been like a really good team. There would have been something special yeah. about that. And you're still in the market of LA. So I don't, yeah. I don't understand why not. It's like and you same, can sell it. It's the same I mean, reason that I want everyone to go to Brooklyn this year. Like, I know all these Knicks fans who are like, the Knicks have all this money. They're going to get everyone this summer. I'm like, go to Brooklyn instead. Brooklyn's got two yeah. max contract slots. They've got a GM that everyone is raving about right now. They've created more young talent with absolutely no assets in the last five years than the Knicks have in the last 15. Go to Brooklyn. You're still in New York. You're still in the big market. Yeah. And you go to a team with historically even less success that's been like, you know, has had its own periods of history where it's considered a joke. To me, that's the more noble thing to do. There's way more, there's just a greater story there. If you can bring a team like the Brooklyn Nets or the Los Angeles Clippers to be like their greatest player of all time, that would be the noble thing to do. And let us have D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> yeah, and let us have, and hey, let us have D'Angelo Russell. Well, whatever. <laughs> I, don't blame, I don't blame LeBron for going to LA generally. He's just, he's no. just catching out. Did, but, you know, sorry to stick on this a little too long, but does it make you like him less? No, uh, a little. Yeah, I mean, look, anyone who wears purple and gold, I will like a little bit less, sure. Yeah, I think it's actually affecting his legacy overall at this point because it just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good to come to that team and not even make the playoffs at all. That's not going to look good on his, like, uh, you know, on his resume when it's all said. I don't know. Do we really care about the Wizards' Jordan years, though? Like, do we really care about that these days? I don't know if that's if that's comparable, especially now where players can potentially play later in their careers and still be pretty good. You know, back then it was a little harder. They actually pay attention to resting. They actually choose their spots a little better nowadays. And, you know, that is one of the things he's criticized for. But either way, I think I think it does affect it a little bit more. But let's get back onto some Suns topics. So this was a very weird week, including the Lakers win, which is a little bit unexpected and just kind of came out of nowhere. Especially considering we hadn't, we'd only beaten him once in the last 21 tries. So it was a little weird, a little unexpected. But a lot of other things happened in the last week I think we should talk about. So since that Miami win, and I tweeted all these out, so I wanted to get them all in one spot. Uh, Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, had this TV spot where he talked about every team. And when he talked about the Suns, he took aim at Robert Sarver and he talked about a team in disarray. He said that. The NBA was worried about the team. He said we had no scouts. He said that James Jones wasn't doing a lot of scouting. And he said G other GMs were not really sure what was going on in Phoenix. An interesting way to start the week, especially after that win. It was the next day after beating Miami that this report came out. And it did make the team look kind of bad, which they immediately reacted by announcing that the search for the GM has begun, which no other news has come out since that date, by the way. James Jones also said a couple other things refuting Woj. He said, uh, <laughs> well, some of the stuff he said was funny. You really ran I with it. I can't believe this. About the oh, technology. I can't believe it. But you, you just go for it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll go through it all. This is so, so what happened. serious stuff that he said, too, that I want to make sure we yeah. get up. 
Well, first of all, I want to say <laughs> I really respect James Jones. I think you can go back and you can listen to the way I talk about James Jones on this podcast. I really respect him. I think he's a great guy. I think he's won championships. I think he's been known as a great teammate. He's also known as one of the smarter guys that's been in the NBA in a long time. And I like him a lot. And I think he does a good job with what he's given for this team so far. And I don't think we can really judge his general manager resume off of one trade deadline, which is all he's had to work with. We got to give him an offseason, assuming he will end up being the GM of this team, which I think this report by Woj makes it less likely because Sarver is very reactionary in general. So I just don't know what's going to happen. But I want to say that before I get into these quotes, because I think it makes James Jones look, look bad. And I want to say that a lot of that is because of what Robert Sarver did. Robert Sarver is forcing James Jones to explain why the entire front office was fired and not a lot has been done to replace them. And it's not easy to explain that, especially when you don't want to make your boss look bad. Um, so he went on Burns and Gambo as he does, I think every week, actually, James Jones yeah, comes on, like so he gets interviewed. McDonough used to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, normally these go under the radar. It's a lot of fluff. None of it matters. This Woj story just raised the level of this interview a little bit. So first thing he said is I can't control when people try to take shots. I know I don't talk to Woj. He doesn't know what's going on inside the building. We haven't had great success scouting in the draft. So we're using technology to help with our needs this year. Hmm. He also said it's not unconventional. We're not out there with 12 scouts like most teams in the press box we're sitting closer to the floor so we get a better vantage point we're four to five rows from the court instead of 12 to 13 he said this is a very important draft yeah it's a very important draft sorry commenting on it and we've been diligent since the transition when it comes time to draft a franchise changer which implies they're really only thinking about one guy because there's only one franchise changer we'll know everything about him he says and then he talked about igor kakashkov um, he said, we're going to stick with him. He kind of said, we're not going to fire him. Uh, he talked a little bit about how we do have scouts and we are out there scouting. Yeah, it's just nice. a little bit differently. What did you think, first of all, about the Woj report, trashing Sarver, about the reaction from the team announcing they're searching for a GM and then this really confusing interview, which if you read the quotes is bad. If you listen to it, it's a little better, but there's still not a lot of great stuff in this interview from James Jones. What did you think? I don't know that there's a whole lot to analyze here, quite honestly. I mean, Woj hasn't had a reputation for uh, being very well connected when it comes to the Suns in the past. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but... No, you're right. I, I don't know that we're fit to comment on either side being right here. That I mean, well, okay, what Woj says, other organizations think we're a dumpster fire and, and are in disarray and have no idea what we're doing. I believe that. <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. I, I believe that. Uh, it's more so just, um, I don't know. I mean, his own personal little quibbles with Sarver, I, I don't know that those are really worth anything. Something to know about Woj and the way he works is he tends to burn guys who don't really source him much. <laughs> He's a, he, LeBron famously... Woj has no connections within LeBron's camp. And over the course of years and years and years, and less since he's joined ESPN, Woj has wrote hit piece after hit piece after hit piece on LeBron, just really taking aim at LeBron and criticizing him for decisions he makes on and off the court. So during the draft, during the free agency process, Sam and I noted that a lot of the news that was breaking came from Sham's Sharania. Sham, wow. And just, just, we just noted it because we just noticed it. And, and in, this, in this last week, it just happened again. Uh, not big news. I'm surprised we didn't lead with this, but the Sun signed Ray Spaulding. <laughs> Why didn't we start with that, Sam? Congratulations to Ray Spaulding. Uh, hopefully they're seeing something out of him in practice. We haven't seen him get on an NBA court yet, but I would like to see it at yeah. some point before the end of the season, at least so we know what we're working with. Why did we not lead with it? Does that need an answer? <laughs> Shams broke it. That's the point of why I'm bringing it up right now. Shams broke that one too. So it's just kind of interesting. Most of the news, if it, if it breaks by a national guy, it's coming from Sharania. If it breaks by a local guy, it's usually Gambo, as we know. And Gambo, although he's taken some hits, is mostly accurate uh, as we talked about on the last episode so kind of a weird week and I don't blame James Jones I think it's an awkward situation to try and answer these types of questions especially you know when you're not really out there to answer those questions you're just showing up on a normal weekly interview and all of a sudden there's all these cannons aimed at you and you have to react and you know I think he, he made some missteps in his reactions 
I think that he he needs to explain what he means by technology. I imagine they're using some scouting tools that are yeah. software related, maybe yeah, you, tracking players and not, reviewing advanced analytics. Not using the uh, what's the thing called the Boston based technology thing that builds those robots. Do you know what I'm talking about? Boston Dynamics. Boston Boston Dynamics. They're not using Boston Dynamics dog robots to scout college players. They're they're talking about like I don't know, like moneyball style if if you yeah. baseball comparison, just advanced out yeah. using yeah, using those scouting tools. So I don't really mind that quote. I though I've been making fun of it a little. It's just a funny way to word it. But did you by the way, did you know that that Boston Dynamic dog is actually named Scout? Oh, <laughs> so, really? Yeah, maybe they are using it. Maybe they are using it. Those are getting scarier uh, by yeah. the day, though. It used to be they'd make all... They're going to kill us all. They, these really whirring sounds that that would like sort of tip you off, but they're getting quieter now. Like They could they could sneak up behind you and kill you if they wanted to at this point, probably. Or at least if they... You're describing ninja robots. You're Pretty saying much. we're going to die from ninja robots. Pretty much. Well, Is anyone surprised that the end of the world is coming from Boston? <laughs> <laughs> that's not a surprise to me yeah i mean well boston's big on tech the end of the world is coming from from tech in in some sense either from them or silicon valley which wouldn't be yep. surprising either the warriors basically already destroyed the league <laughs> all right another thing that happened in a bad week for for as far as the sun's actually looking organized after that Woj report josh jackson was scheduled to appear at a grocery store which by the way, already kind of funny. <laughs> Just from that alone. Um, why, shout why out to the Josh, people who go to that. How are we so desperate that Josh Jackson has already gotten his own bobblehead this year, too? <laughs> he was picked fourth overall. I mean, Just like recycle, <laughs> recycle, like, I don't know. Have we have we run through all the legendary bobbleheads yet? Like, have we done, like, a, a Paul Silas or Cedric Sabalos bobblehead made yet? Like, I'd rather have that than Josh Jackson holding a PS4 controller. Give us a Rex Chapman one for his Twitter account alone. Give, give us a Rex Chapman. Give us a Pat Burke bobblehead. Yeah, I'll take it. Anyway. I'll take it. The, so The rest of the story. The rest of the story is Josh Jackson didn't show up, and it was very awkward. And uh, there were people there waiting for a long time before they even found out that he wasn't going to show up. James Jones shows up, wasn't there originally, of course, because why would he be? He apologizes for Josh Jackson not being there. He takes pictures with fans. He promises them autographs in the mail. He gives away tickets to the people who are there waiting. And then, weirdly, he offers to buy everyone beer, which is funny for many reasons. (laughs) One, because a lot of people that go are kids. kids. They're a bunch of kids. I'm glad we can start. So you're buying beer for their parents. Healthy, healthy habits for these six-year-olds waiting for their josh jackson autographs two why why did he buy them beer why not just give them autographs and tickets because the story now became james jones showed up at a grocery store to buy a bunch of kids beer <laughs> that's kind of the headline of the story why not just give them tickets why not just give them autographs and here's what i mean by this this story of of course gets distilled and distilled it goes through that internet processing machine and then it ends up on the jump where the jump doesn't research they have to do a show every day they just get stuff off of twitter and it could have been my tweet that they saw it from and then they announce it on on the show as a story and in the story they say that james jones shows up and he buys people beer and then immediately tracy mcgrady says why not just give them tickets and uh, I believe she said something like, I don't know, I, don't know. I guess Rachel beer Nichols was better. Said something like, I don't know, the suns suck, they're a joke anyway, ha 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 ha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, as has happened many times before at the jump. But yeah. Yes, if if they say Josh Jackson does not show up to this event, but James Jones showed up to apologize, took pictures with the fans, gave them tickets and promised they were going to be sent autographs by Josh Jackson later. That's a good story. That's a good story. Obviously, it's bad that Josh Jackson didn't show up. Yeah, well, I was going to say a little bit more about him. It makes Josh Jackson look like a bum. And but it, it doesn't make James funny. Jones look bad. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make James Jones look bad. That's true. Nothing. Everything. James Jones looks great in this story. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the beer thing being otherwise a little bit funny. Uh, but it's fun. Yeah. It was funny to just be on Reddit this week. I think we reached peak levels of, of Josh Jackson hate uh, this week on Sun's Reddit. Sun's Twitter was was a little cooler with their reactions. I think um, not not quite as hot headed about it or, or warm blooded. 
Uh, but it, it was funny. What do you think? Do you think so? Josh Jackson was then fined twenty thousand dollars. By the way, he was fined twenty thousand dollars for not showing. Well, up obviously, uh, two things. That's one to cover the cost of the beer, <laughs> but two because the Suns are a cheap organization. Uh, but but two, they would they wouldn't have fined him uh, if he hadn't had legitimately done something wrong. Look, if he had a true family emergency, I really don't think they would be punishing him in that sense. I think he would have cleared it with the reps. Uh, who were setting up that that event, and everything would have been fine. I think that the news came out publicly the next day. And then, by the way, the the real thing that we should talk about here is more so Josh Jack, uh, Josh Jackson's reaction to being fined when he sort of, I don't want to say went off on reporters the next day, but they were asking him about it, and he said, "There's all sorts of stuff that comes out that you guys like, you know, <laughs> don't know about that isn't leaked publicly. This shouldn't have been made public information." Like that to me, instead of just saying, "Yeah, I screwed up. I'm sorry." was an immature reaction by Josh Jackson. And, and that's sort of more the story here is the aftermath as opposed to the initial event. I wonder what that was about, right? My my brain went all kinds of directions when he said that. The first thing I thought about was Bandana Booker, of course, the classic tale of uh, <laughs> Devin Booker putting on a Western-style mask and chasing people out of a hotel lobby. But I also thought about Devin Booker's hand injury. I still think that's a weird story. I still don't think that we got the whole picture of his hand injury uh, before the season and I wonder if something happened there and it could have been anything but the fact that he sort of insinuated that things happen players get fined and you don't always hear about it and it, and you know he's only been in the league for a year and a half so cool. it had to have happened in the last year and a half yeah. what was it we'll probably never know at this point maybe something could come out later but at this point I, I think it's a dead story uh, you know and I hope Josh Jackson shows up again for those kids I feel bad for those people that did show up to see him um, and I feel bad that their parents let them be such big fans of Josh Jackson. I bet Ray Spalding would have shown up. <laughs> yeah. He's just happy Where's to be here. Where's his bobblehead night? <laughs> fuck, fuck it at this point. Give Ray Spalding a bobblehead night. Last thing, and, and I'll give you, I'll, you know, I'll clear the lane for you here. Uh, the, the Suns, or it was announced that the, I don't know how to even say this. Kevin McHale. Oh, no, no, no. Jesus Christ, no. <laughs> Kevin McHale is linked to the team as a potential president of basketball operations, which is another rumor that the Suns will hire a president of basketball operations and allow James Jones to continue being the general manager and sort of the face of the team for the for the players. Um, Kevin McHale is linked. The first first name we heard about and the only name so far, which is a little worrying. Yeah, I forgot all about this. So thanks for bringing it up so I can be mad again. Um, look, here's the, He's bad. here's the reality of the GM situation, though. Any GM who comes up who's been a GM in the past has made mistakes before because no GM bats a thousand. So there are things that you can point to that haunt every GM in their history if you're, if you're trying to actually hire someone with experience. But with Mikhail, his mistakes are worse than most. Do you know the Joe Smith story? Does Do people know the Joe Smith story? Because I don't know how obscure that is in like NBA lore. But, but Kevin McHale, basically, this was back in, now I wish I had the, the particulars, I, I think back in 2000 or thereabout, was Joe Smith was a, a slightly above average starting center who signed for well below market value with the Timberwolves because as it turned out after a, a few years later when they went under an investigation, the Timberwolves, whose executive at the time was Kevin McHale, had an under the table agreement in place where the idea was you don't get the bird rights for a player until they've played with you for three years. So Joe Smith would sign three one-year deals with the team for below market value money, very little money, less than he's worth, uh, until the Timberwolves would have his bird rights. And then after those three years, they would go over the salary cap to re-sign him and they would give him close to like maybe a much more lucrative extension, potentially even a max extension, which could have paid him up to like 80 or $90 million. This, you know, goes around the rules of the CBA. Quite obviously, you can't have under under the table agreements like this. The NBA find out, uh, found out. They came down hard on the T Wolves. David Stern took away four first round picks from the Timberwolves, and these were the Timberwolves with prime Kevin Garnett, uh, who was about to become an MVP in, in in the next couple of years, and really handicapped them for years. They also took away uh, Joe Smith's bird rights, so that they couldn't even sign him to an extension after all that happened. 
Uh, but they took four first yeah. round picks away for the Wolves while Kevin Garnett was in his prime, completely capped their inability, uh, their ability to build a good team around him. And then sure enough, a few years later, when they didn't have a good team around Kevin Garnett, Garnett wanted out. Mikhail traded him to the Celtics for a lot of players uh, or a lot of quantity, but essentially no quality. Uh, and, and that basically was it for Kevin McHale after that. He had a, one or two more years as the Wolves executive, but didn't do anything impressive uh, in that time either. So a big fat no to Kevin McHale, who went like five straight years without a first round pick even for the Timberwolves in the early 2000s. Yep, that is a bad situation. He's not, he wasn't, he, even without that, without the drama, I mean, tampering's legal now, right? So we don't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> but and, and even without thing, that, he not, was not a good general it's manager. It's not about tampering. It's about getting caught. Right, right, right. <laughs> he was bad enough to get caught. You can't be bad enough to get caught, Kevin. You have to be, uh, you ha- you have to be confident in it. But you're also exactly right. You, you look at other moves that he made. He Once they finally did start getting first-round picks back, at, like in 2006, they drafted Brandon Roy, sixth overall. Who, you know, you can look back on that and, and say whether that was great or not, because Roy was amazing for a few years, but then couldn't continue because of injuries. But they drafted Brandon Roy and traded him on draft night for Randy Foy, which is like not <laughs> not great value right there. You're getting Randy Foy for the sixth overall pick. The year after that, I think they drafted Corey Brewer with another top ten pick, which is like okay. I mean, Corey Brewer technically had a fifty point game. He's been an okay role player. But <laughs> but again, not something you really hang your GM hat on. It was kind of like Kevin McHale walked in to the to the T Wolves organization in the mid nineties, ninety five, ninety six, whatever that was. He drafts uh, Kevin Garnett as basically his first move, and that kind of just defined his legacy from there on out. That was like it was all downhill from there. Really good move with KG, and then just thirteen years mm-hmm. of, of not much to speak on. Yeah, I really hope it doesn't happen. It is kind of odd that immediately after McDonough was fired, one of the first reports was. I believe Woj said a name to watch is Kevin McHale. Today, Kevin McHale's name came up again, or, or this week, Kevin McHale's name came up again. So cross your fingers. Hope that doesn't happen. I have no idea what this team will be like if it does. It does make me sad how far he's fallen and how much or how little people respect Kevin McHale just because of how fun he was to watch as a player and how creative and interesting he was um, in that role that he played on those Celtics teams. So really kind of sad. Well, and... That sort of speaks to my point also, though. Like, most GMs, when they're fired, are disgraced to some extent. Like, Sam Hinkie is, like, an unusual situation where you have people actually calling for you to, to get another job. Most be- Any GM that the Suns bring for an interview, we can nitpick them to death. I just want to make the distinction because I think McHale is actually a bad choice. So, not to, to not end on that, we should quickly say, Devin Booker dunked on Anthony Yeah! Davis. Can you believe that? That was, that was a shock. That was dope. We talked about how this week we wanted to see Josh Jackson posterize somebody. Well, we got a poster. It wasn't Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson. It was Devin Booker. And he, he yammed it on Anthony Davis's head. That's the craziest person to dunk on. Just the fact that he even tried that is kind of insane. Huge. The fact that it went down is almost impossible to even comprehend. It, it's a shock. Huge balls. Huge balls to attempt that if you're Devin Booker <laughs> and, and you're... <laughs> Not the most athletic guy in the building. Josh Jackson, by the way, missed another five dunks this week, I think. But he's going to get that poster one day. <laughs> I'm going to look up the stats to see oh who's missed God. the most dunks in the NBA. He's, I think he's missed 11 or 12, maybe, so far this season. And maybe actually 13. I, I, I didn't count the Lakers once. It might be up to 13 at this point. Um, so I'm going to have to look that up because it's a lot. And we knew in the past... Uh, Marquise Chris was leading the league the past few years, so we'll see. Marquise Chris hasn't got a lot of minutes, so I have a feeling Josh Jackson is going to be up there uh, <laughs> this this season. 11 is a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of dunks. Where do you find that stat? Um, it is shot tracking in basketball oh. reference. Feel free to look it up for anyone else listening, but I'll, I'll find it this week at some point. All right, that's all we got this week. Anything else? I wanted to talk about Devin Booker. There's a lot to talk about, but we got to end this one. We'll have to talk about Devin Booker next time. Should be fun. Thanks for listening, folks. Free beer! 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 Beer! 
I'm here for the free beer. You got it. Right after these 800 people get. You just wrapped up another episode of The Timeline. I love this podcast. And if you're like me, you want as much Suns content as possible. That's why I listen to The Timeline every week. So if you want to go ahead and hear some more Phoenix Suns content, go ahead and listen to The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. We are available on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. Anywhere that you listen to podcasts, go ahead and check out The Solar Panel, a Phoenix Suns show. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.